Now that you have supped on the sweet sanguine ambrosia, you must know the things that really matter to our kind, such as politics. For instance, there are several clans you need to keep in mind. Yeah, like the like the Ventru and the and the Nosferatu. I mean, it, it seems like pretty basic stuff. There are outliers to consider, and you should know them well, like the Gapeferatu. The Gape for what? Imagine an entire clan of mouth breathers. But I thought that we didn't have to breathe. You're making this more complicated than it needs to be. Now, next, remember, the Patromalis. They hate their fathers and devote their entire unlife to getting revenge through poor choices and bad music. Man, it sounds like most of these vampires are just assholes. It certainly seems that way. However, some are just unfortunate, like the Piotas. They are forced to walk this earth, constantly spelling like baked goods. This is just all so confusing. I mean, are there any others that I should know about? Perhaps the Lolorandum Malachi? They're a little bit like the Malkavians, but they cannot stop making references to midgets, or zombie pirates, or monkeys, or cheese at inappropriate times. Then there are the Tropodum. They are artistic. Is there anything that we have in common? Kind and kindred alike must all remember to watch out for fireballs. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And this is Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a retro video games podcast. And today we're talking about Vampire, The Masquerade, Bloodlines. Which is a first-person role-playing game created by Troika Games and released for the PC during the winter of 2004. Mm -hmm. It's it's based on a a pen and paper role-playing game series um, called The World of Darkness is kind of the general universe of it and uh it's you know fairly big in, in those terms it's not dungeons and dragons big but a lot of people have played it and vampire is the most popular of them there's lots of substrata of that like werewolves and and ghosts and um mages all of which are kind of rolled into this so it acts as kind of this omnibus of the world of darkness yeah and, and even even more specific than that i mean that you know i i've got some some history with with tabletop role-playing and even though i never played any of the the world of darkness games i had a lot of friends who did so yeah. it gets down to like changelings and ghosts and humans and then there's one that's like frankensteins i'm <laughs> not kidding like it just, it's like a, just a bunch of frankensteins i don't really God, really understand it that would but, uh, that would suck to role-play as 
<laughs> just every, you know, just the, you know, just the bad guys are all fire. Yeah, it's just anybody, it's just torches. Well, pitchforks. I mean, let's yeah, give the pitchforks their due. <laughs> but in Bloodlines, and we're going, I'm going to uh, um, shorten it to Bloodlines just because th- this title is out of control. It has a lot of colons in it. <laughs> a lot of colons. Yeah. Um, in it, uh, you as the player character, uh, you choose which vampire clan you belong to. Um, and that determines the various powers and skills that you have at your disposal to uh, complete quests throughout the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, the gameplay is best described as um, like a, a lot like Deus Ex is the most popular kind of touchstone. Um, so it's a, a first or third person role playing game. Um, you walk around. You have different approaches to solving quests and puzzles. You know, you can do stealth, or you can hack, or you can be social. And uh, the company that made this, Troika, had several games like this. Um, Troika did uh, Arcanum, um, which is a similar amount of freedom. And uh, they're made up of people from Black Isle, so and the team that developed Fallout. And there's a lot of DNA shared there. Quite the pedigree. Uh, but despite that pedigree, uh, Bloodlines um, actually suffered in development for several years uh, before it was released, going through several iterations um, and at least two writing teams uh, before everything was said and done. Right. It was, it was published by, by Activision, and kind of near the end of the development cycle, Activision started increasing demands and setting deadlines. So uh, the game kind of came out, you know, kind of full of bugs, and, and before maybe it was ready. Um, this game is the, the first one built on the Source engine other than Half-Life 2, which was really cutting edge at the time. And uh, because of that, it had to be delayed until 2004, even though it started development in 2001, because it was contractually obligated to be released after Half-Life 2. And um, surprisingly, uh, since it came out alongside the biggest PC game ever, um, it didn't sell very well um, yeah. in spite of the uh, great critical reception that it got, uh, generally good reviews. Uh, but it has retained a community of fans that are devoted enough to uh, be willing to create several unofficial patches for the game in order to keep it functional uh, for the masses. Right, and and that's really key in this game because it <laughs> it was released, you know, because of those deadlines, um, was re- released in kind of a half state. So without those fans, this game would not be nearly as playable as it is today. So so thanks, dedicated Bloodline fans. Um. So do we want to talk about the plot? Yeah, let's uh let's talk about the plot kind of in in general terms. Th- this game has a lot of different missions, and we're not going to detail all of them. But uh, the plot kind of moves you from from quest hub to quest hub, and we'll we'll touch on each of those and the general plot a bit. But most of it, you know, it all kind of comes down to, like in many video games, you are an errand boy. Um, in this case, for Prince Lacroix of the Camarilla, who are kind of the uh, the old money, you know, rich elite uh, power structure that have come into the Los Angeles area um, and are attempting to assert their power and uphold the masquerade, or so they say. Right. For for those of you who are not, uh, you know, don't have any background with this, the masquerade is just the the conceit that vampires should have to, you know, want to hide from humans. It's not advantageous for them to uh, to be known. And in the beginning of the game, uh, you are illegitimately conceived by another another vampire. A, a vampire turns you into a vampire without permission, and there's an execution scene because that's illegal. The prince is going to execute you, but for political reasons, he decides to spare you. Um, you spend most of the rest of the game working for him because a, a mysterious sarcophagus has shown up. Um, it has been unearthed and has, has appeared. It's coming on a ship, 
and uh, it may or may not portent the end of days. It's a it's a apocalypse kind of scenario for vampires. Right. It's uh, everybody kind of has their own pet theory about what's inside of the sarcophagus. Is it an old vampire who uh, is still alive and is ancient and powerful or is it kind of some other thing? And a lot of the game is uh, trying to kind of run this thing back and forth like a football um, mm-hmm. from all the people who are vying to uh, have control over it. Right. And when, when you talk about being a, an errand boy, one of the interesting things this game does and and kind of through this podcast, I've kind of learned that like a lot of games do this a little bit more than than I gave them credit for. But it kind of comments on that that since you know being a, an errand boy in all video games because because you are and one of the neat ways this game kind of mechanicizes it is that uh, you know the the prince wants you to work for him. There are other factions though who also want you to work for them. And uh, but the prince gives you your your main storyline quest. If you side with one of the other factions and start refusing. Uh, the prince's clan, he's a, he's a Ventru, and he has the power to something called dominate, which is to, you know, mind control people. So if you refuse to do what he has, you know, wants you to do, he eventually uses his power on you and forces you to do it. So it's kind of an interesting, like, in-game explanation of uh, that video game-ness, you know, but you have to do the quest. I don't want to, but you have to. I don't want to, <laughs> but you have to. You know, that Dragon Warrior 1 uh, problem. But there's kind must. of a nice Yeah, but thou must. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that that is, and I think you know, to to make a statement like, oh, this is the first game that did that. Obviously, that was a huge deal um, in uh, in Bioshock, uh, but uh, this game predates Bioshock by uh, by a couple of years. So right, you know, and the, kind of the takeaway I'm taking from it because we made that that reference to Bioshock earlier as well is that um, this is kind of an old video game standby, and Bioshock really underlined it and did it really well, but. Um, it's an idea that developers have been playing with for a while. Right. So, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the different uh, kind of hub worlds that you go to. Uh, you're sent off um, as a matter of convenience to be out of sight and out of mind in Santa Monica, where you're set up in a uh, shithole apartment and uh, uh, basically told to bomb a warehouse. But uh, things happen to go wrong. Right. And th- this this hub kind of introduces some of the neat flavor things in the game. Um, there's a, a TV and a radio station that you can listen to. There's not tons of content on them, but one of the neat things is that the, uh, the, the TV, the news will actually comment on what's going on in the plot and what you do. So if you turn on the TV after, you know, certain, you know, what that warehouse that you eventually do blow up, um, when you do so, the, the news will report about it. And it's kind of neat. The radio is more of like a, there's a, like a late night call in show that's kind of more just jokey and for color. Yeah. But uh, it's still pretty neat. Like, I remember when I first saw that, I thought that was really awesome. You know, and I, I believe that I, I, I played this after Grand Theft Auto 3, but this yeah. was maybe the second or third exposure to that kind of color exactly. that I'd seen. Um, it should be noted, too, that you um, started the game and you did this most recent playthrough as a, as a Malkavian. Is that correct? Right. This is, this is one of my favorite games, despite all the flaws that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. And uh, so this is my third playthrough of the game. And uh, when you choose, one of the interesting things is when you choose your clan, it doesn't just dictate your powers and skill set. It also dictates the the actual, the way the game plays. So um, I think there are seven to choose from or six, and two of them are very different. Uh, one of them is the Nosferatu, and they are hor- horribly disfigured. So if you choose to play as them, you cannot appear in front of humans without violating the masquerade. And you only get five masquerade violations and the game ends. 
So, uh, but I did not choose to play as them because it's pretty much the stealth playthrough. Mm-hmm. It kind of turns the game into thief, but with combat, you know, more combat. I played as a Malkavian, and their uh, kind of curse or their drawback is that they're crazy. So, um, you know, this this really changed the game for me. And a lot of it is just uh, dialogue things, and some of them are real, like, lol, random, purple monkey dishwasher stuff. <laughs> um, but, but some of them, what's really interesting is they have this uh, – the other side to their insanity is that they have this insight. So you will oftentimes be talking about the plot and talking about things that haven't happened yet two characters um Mm -hmm. but in like subtextual or metaphorical ways and it really changes the way the game plays um if you play through this game as one of the the more standard clans uh and enjoy it enough to play again definitely play through the second time as an alcabian because there's a lot of in jokes and a lot of really interesting things going on with the writing and the Malkavians, they can kind of infect other people with their uh, point of view, as it were, right? Like one of your powers is dementation. So that actually gives you more dialogue options to get people to do what you want to do, right? Right. And one of the, just speaking of the, the color things, one of my favorite things is the television. In the When you do the Malkavian, um, the TV eventually goes becomes a really crazy kind of thing and talks to you. But early on, all the news reports just say that you did it. So they'll say, you know, there was a recent warehouse explosion, but you know that you did it. And but the newscaster says it in the dry newscaster voice just in the background. And it's, it's just really clever. Yeah, I, I opted um, on this playthrough to uh, kind of go with what I think is the more standard uh, playthrough, um, which is the uh, Tereador. Uh, played as a as a as a female Tereador. Um Other than that, like you could go with like the Bruja, uh, who are more combat oriented. But uh, from people that I've talked to who have played the game, the Tereador is kind of the more uh, standard uh, way to go. So uh, it's it will we'll have contrasting viewpoints on this particular playthrough, uh, just uh, in in looking at how our experiences differed with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's talk about some of the quests in the Santa Monica area. Um, yeah. Like you know, you right out the gate, you have a lot. You have a lot of access to different side quests. You can walk into a medical clinic um, and save a woman's life, which comes up later. Mm-hmm. You learn about um, within the the mythology, and I don't want to get too bogged down in that stuff. Uh, not only because it's kind of boring, but I also don't want anyone to think I'm an expert on it because <laughs> I'm not. And it, it's I just you know I'll play this game a bunch. But within yeah. the mythology, if you, if a vampire feeds a human their blood, uh, the human becomes a ghoul, and they're kind of a thrall you and there's a after you learn about that you go into a blood bank and there's a there's a woman dying and the the doctor who uh <laughs> you know this dreadlocked uh um hermes from futurama uh voice doctor mm-hmm. uh doesn't you know can't save her so you can save her by feeding her your blood and she becomes a, a ghoul to you that plays out throughout the entire game in kind of a couple of different ways it's really neat um and it's also like kind of just like a nice thing to do like it you have a humanity stat uh, which is kind of measuring how how in touch with with being a, a good person you are versus just being a, a monster, uh, and it uh, you know kind of gave me a warm fuzzy fuzzy feeling after doing it. Yeah, and there are plenty of opportunities uh, to keep that humanity meter high. Um, I never let it go very low because as a Tereador, uh, all of your losses are doubled. So I kind of kept my uh, you know my my hand on the rudder with that um so i never saw what happens when you do get too low but uh in in general i tend to play as a good good guy um mm-hmm. in most of these games so i liked that despite how bleak this game uh can be and does get um there are lots of opportunities to uh not be a complete monster right mm-hmm. 
Yep. And the, the game handles that balance really well, I think. Um, the, the Bioware or classic Bioware way of handling good and evil, at least in the, the early games, I don't have as much experience with the later ones, is that uh, if you do the good solution, you get a lot of experience. If you do the evil solution, you get a little bit more money. And it's not, you know, it's obviously in a mechanic way more advantageous to be good, mm-hmm. um, at least in Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 and, and Icewind Dale and those games. And this game, I think, handles the balance a bit better. Um, you get the same amount of experience either way. And, um, you know, you may lose, you'll, humanity is really what you get for being good, and that's it. Right. So it really, you kind of have to do that to keep that up, but also for the sake of doing it. So, so I mean, th- this game comes out the gate very, very strong um, with what I think is one of the best missions um, in the game um, here in the first chapter, which is the Oceanside Hotel. Uh, yep. Yeah, basically you have to resolve a political dispute, something that comes up very often in the game, uh, between a nightclub owner uh, uh, named Therese Vorman and her sister uh, Jeanette Vorman and uh, uh, one of the Nosferatu, and this involves doing errands for her. And she says, hey, I own this haunted hotel. Can you go there and uh, sort that out? And uh, kind of what results is this uh, haunted house, uh, literally and figuratively experience that uh, a lot of people, including myself, mark as the uh, the, the early high point of the game. Mm-hmm. It also comes up on any time I see a message board about the scariest video games ever, scariest levels <laughs> in video games. And it really is. I mean, and, and what's so awesome about it is that literally nothing can hurt you in it. I mean, you can take just minute amounts of scratch damage from things like paintings flying off the wall, but you're almost impervious during the whole thing. Um, it's just there to unnerve you. And it, it's really neat. There are a lot of really cool little bits. Um, you're in a kitchen in the basement and the pots and pans start flying everywhere. Um, like there's a, you know, an active uh, poultry iced. Um, there is a, a bit where you read a note about uh, a little girl's head being found in a dryer. And then behind you, a dryer creaks open. <laughs> and and then you go over there, you just find a key or a key card or something like that. But uh, it's just really, really well paced and done. Yeah. I mean, it would be awesome if there was more of this in the game. I was, you know, it's great that they front loaded that and really kind of put it out there. So most people who did pick up the game got to play it. But I found myself being disappointed later on that while there are levels and kind of scenarios that um, kind of reach towards being as good as that and being kind of tonally similar, uh, it doesn't pop up, and I really wish that there was more of it, not only in this game, but also um, in games in general. I think right. that um, Amnesia is the only other game I can think of that is as affecting uh, with similar mechanics, you know? I would actually, I would love it if the designers of this did a game that was literally just like 10 or 15 haunted houses. Okay. And they can all have different themes. Like I, did, I love haunted houses. I just, I was just at one last night, the, the big Portland one. And it's one of my, my, just my favorite, favorite things to do. Like I like going in these weird environments. I like, mm-hmm. uh, like being scared of things. And I would play a game that was literally like no conflict, just, you know, simple source engine, you know, standard WASD mechanics, but just was, were designed, lovingly designed haunted houses. Yes. And, uh, that would, I would love that. I would pay for that. With as much care as uh, as obviously went into this, um, mm-hmm. and that's a you know a story mission, and and the the, the Therese Jeanette kind of sibling squabble um, comes together and resolves itself in a really um, I think satisfying way. I really liked uh, that, especially the way that it climaxed with you realizing that they are indeed the same person uh, right. again, Malkavian. Um, and, uh, it, it ends with you, um, having to negotiate between the two. 
there's some some neat hinting towards that. Um, they they uh, whenever you talk to Jeanette, she's leaning to the to the right, and whenever you talk to Therese, she's leaning to the left. And uh, you know, it's not something you would pick up on, but it's just kind of neat. And as a Malkavian, uh, you call her uh, child of Janus or sister of Janus, which is a a two faced Roman god, like. Oh, yeah. So it's just kind of this weird way that the Malkavian playthrough, your character knows things before you know them. And uh, it's just one of the ways that they, they hint that out, um, yeah. which is really neat. The first hub is also, you know, other than the story missions, which are all really strong in the first hub, um, you start getting exposed to the, the wide variety of side quests. And kind of my favorite one, um, you're working for a bail bondsman. And uh, he wants you to hunt down one of his bounty hunters. And kind of following a trail of clues... You trace him to a, a company or a place called uh, Gimbal's Prosthetics, and uh, Gimbal is is a real uh, um, Gimbal is a great character. He is a uh, a crazy prosthetics. You know, he he takes real human limbs and models prosthetics after them, and has a, a haunted, not haunted, but a, a scary you know serial killer dungeon full of models and gurneys and uh, anatomy charts and such. And it's just it's a really creepy. And really kind of fun little side quest. And it's cool if you talk to him beforehand. You know, he tells you a story about his own missing arm, apparently. And when he was younger, he decided he was so fascinated with prosthetics that he just decided to cut his own arm off. And he says it in this really blasé kind of way that if you already weren't, uh, um, you know, suspicious of him, because anybody who devotes their life to prosthesis is either a madman or a pervert. Um, often <laughs> both. Um, that, that that's just kind of like okay, um, and what you find is uh, suitably horrifying. And when you fight him, he fights you with a severed arm, which, which you may can or may not up. be his, which you can, <laughs> then can get, and is a decent melee weapon for the beginning of the game. <laughs> and you can just run around the streets of Santa Monica with a severed arm, and nobody asks a question. <laughs> not a masquerade violation. neat things it's not really a quest but one of the you you find a, a group of uh vampires down by the the ocean who are they're called thin bloods which means that they don't have power you know a lot of powers or anything it's all the the shitty parts of being a vampire and none of the good parts and one of them is like a seeress and uh what one of the interesting things is that if you pay her to tell your fortune she pretty much tells you the plot of the game <laughs> but in in really oblique terms so she tells you what's going to happen all the way down to, to the climax of the game, and we'll we'll be spoiling that. So, oh, yeah. um, just in case anybody uh, cares, but the uh, you know she says don't open it is her last uh, bit of, of advice for you, which doesn't doesn't make any sense at this point, and uh, but does make sense later. And that's one of the things I really love about this game is that it, it the writing is really strong and they do a lot of interesting things with it. The writing is great. There there's a lot of stuff that they you know manage to keep track of, and they don't really forget an awful lot like everything does kind of come back and uh work together in a really satisfying way but the voice acting yeah which which uh it at most times is really really great um jack there's a character who gives you a, a tutorial named smiling jack who's voiced by uh you know jake from adventure time and bender from futurama and, and everything what is ruin his name one more time uh john damagio yeah john damagio um, also the great. voice of marcus phoenix uh one of the best voice actors um working today also uh phil lamar 
is mm -hmm. is on board um both of them from uh from futurama um and just in general uh, it's funny that you said hermes from uh from futurama because he does voice the uh the, the rastafarian doctor oh he does <laughs> and he voices uh skelter um but uh all of this kind of is my way of saying that smiling jack is the best character um in this or uh and you know he's pretty high in the running too uh, because he does kind of turn turn out to be this uh, uh, really good chess master, um, and he also um, used to be a pirate. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's he's one of the characters who made the crossover. My understanding from the the tabletop game, he's a, a famous character in that lore. And this game doesn't, I know it doesn't require. I mean, it doesn't require any familiarity with that. I feel like it does it. It's pretty self contained. There's a lot of in game kind of loading screen flavor text that'll get you caught up. So don't feel like. You know, it sounds like there's a lot of depth there, but they do a really good job of unpacking it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great uh, tour through this world of darkness uh, setting, which I didn't know anything about aside from a passing um, familiarity with it from my uh, from my dice rolling days. You know, mm -hmm. throwing the bones, Throw, throwing them throwing them bones. Yeah. Um, so after uh, after you kind of complete that hub, um, you move on to downtown L.A. And, uh, there, you know, there are a couple, you know, the, the, this is where the, the sarcophagus comes into play. You find out about the sarcophagus on a ship. And the storyline missions all have to do with that. But there's some pretty good side quests as well in this part. You have something in the notes here about a reality, reality show hospital thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, this, is, this is one of my favorite. You know, we've talked before about optional content in games. And it's, it's one of my favorite, you know, qualifiers for a game that I'm going to really love. Um, there's a, an abandoned hospital in this in this hub, with a part of the fence is torn down. And uh, if you go into it, you see a, a a crew that's shooting a reality TV show about haunted places in LA, and they're they're being uh, you know attacked. They're freaking out. You get to see camera feeds of them being eaten, and uh, eventually you make your way down to the bottom of this abandoned, super creepy abandoned hospital. It's not nearly as um, large as the the hotel, but um, you find a, a vampire down there who's a uh, some specific breed where they have to eat flesh Whoa. and uh, she lures people down there and you have to go trick the guy who, who runs the reality TV competition into coming back. So you go there and you tell him that it was all a joke. Like all his friends were using Foley and, and special effects to trick him <laughs> and uh, convince him. And it's a big humanity drop, but uh, a big masquerade that you, you can get a masquerade redemption where you do things to uphold the masquerade and killing this person who knows about this haunted uh, hospital. And then uh, she becomes um, kind of a quest giver and wants uh, specific items you can pick up from places and will give you items in return. Hmm. So um, in addition to getting kind of armor and weapons in this game, you also can get these magic items that affect your stats. Oh, and, and charms, she, yeah. Yeah, and she's, she's the, the main kind of source of those through the game. Oh, wow. I completely overlooked that. Um, I remember seeing something about like a reality show horror ghost tour thing in one of the apartments that I broke into and hacked the computer. That's his uh, apartment. That's yeah. the, the guy who runs it. So, okay. So again, these threads are worked into different areas. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the main quests in this, I mean, it kind of culminates in one of my favorite quests in the game, but like the, the, the ship break in thing and the natural history museum, all, all of which are in pursuit of this sarcophagus. I kind of felt like we're um, bad, maybe just because I rolled, I didn't roll for stealth, um, and they mm -hmm. were both very stealth-heavy missions. This game is 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 like you know two thirds or one half of the way there with that design philosophy, where it does the first part 
where uh, it gives you the options to to complete a mission in many different ways. But then the mission designs don't have all of those ways in mind. So it gives you, it presents you the the option. You know, you can do a dialogue character, you can do a stealth character, you can do a combat character. But there's still going to be mission, missions with required stealth. There's still going to be missions with required combat. And uh, that's kind of, I would say, probably the tragic flaw of the game is yeah. that they, they kind of didn't match up A and B. It's so frustrating because they make that promise and the instances where they fulfill it, they're great. But there are times when they forget it in favor of, okay, this is a scenario that we have to put in, but there's no way we can think of to have you solve it, you know, keeping that part A in in mind. So there's always going to be a mission that you're not rolled to be able to succeed at. Right. And the end is is <clears throat> horrible about this. <sighs> the, the end, we'll get to that, but the end <laughs> is where they really are rushed and forget that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you go through those two missions and then eventually you have to, so in, in each city, there's kind of a leader of each clan. And in LA, the leader of the Malkavians is a guy named Grout. <laughs> um, the prince sends you to, to check in on Grout. And uh, it's really cool. Like he's, you go to his mansion and uh, I, I believe that you compared it to the the Winchester mystery house. Yeah. Yeah. We just got this chaotic architecture. There are stairs that go nowhere halls that go nowhere and uh during it you, you, know, you spend the entire time kind of listening to his his thoughts he uh dedicated to it like to records pretty much right are they real to reels real to reels yeah he's uh he's kept like a dictaphone log of his thoughts and it, it's it's really cool like it's really scary and uh you know just really unnerving listening to him tell his story some of those stories that he tells because you know he's like an old school psychologist you know back from the days of like lobotomies and phrenology and stuff and so you know he's talking about doing these experiments on people like this guy named john who ends up gnawing off his own arm and going to live between the floorboards that gave mm-hmm. me a, a nice like yellow wallpaper vibe which mm-hmm. was very unnerving again the little flavor text containing some of the more uh, uh frightening moments in the game but uh despite the fact that it's really combat heavy uh the game this 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 mission in general um i think is saved by the uh again the scenario design and the architecture uh, mm-hmm. and i saved, really like or i said architecture it's saved oh. by the <laughs> by the scenario design and the architecture architecture almost seems like it should be something <laughs> I, know, right? I, I don't know what i don't know what words you're inventing today but that, yeah one of, one of the nice things about this is it plays with two kind of cool ideas in this universe one is that vampires in addition to being these supernatural things can also come from any age in history so you know you have jack who used to be a pirate and then you have grout who used to be a psychologist but like a 1920s psychologist so that's really cool and he actually bemoans you know the fact that nobody does like electric shock therapy and nobody does phrenology anymore um the other idea that's really cool is that he's a malkavian but the way it manifests is really different than the way it does for your character or any other malkavian that you meet so there's kind of this real, you know, it hints at this real wide palette of uh, experiences and different kinds of, of people that can live in this world, um, you know, without explicitly making, you know, that every option for your character. Was um, was there anything special in this mission for you as a Malkavian on this playthrough? Sadly, no. Oh, no, they, Yeah, they, they dropped the ball on that one. What a wasted so. opportunity. Yeah. But that's downtown. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, down, you know, downtown, you get through that. It's, it's not a super, you know, the, the side quests, I feel like there are a few of them that they're longer in this and they're kind of more main quests. So this, this, this hub takes a little while. Um, but after you get, you get done with that, you, you're still searching for the sarcophagus, you know, it shows up missing and, uh, the prince tells you, 
that you need to find the, the Nosferatu are kind of his eyes and ears, and they're in Hollywood. So he sends you off to Hollywood. And there, um, I really think that this is kind of the, the second win for the game, um, despite the fact that, again, it has one of the most reviled parts of the game as its, uh, mm-hmm. as, as its climax. Um, you know, H- Hollywood, I think, um, has some of the, uh, um, again, more of these horror haunt more of these haunted house elements, um, like with the, uh, um, the whole snuff film subplot, you know, you, you're, you're working for this, uh, Hollywood producer type who is, uh, you know, disturbed by this amount of, uh, supernatural snuff imagery that is popping up, uh, throughout the area. So as a, you know, as a way of covering the masquerade, he says, okay, go and find where all this is coming from. And it turns out that it's not special effects, Right, right. You you find you, you're uh, investigating this company called Death's Head Productions, uh, who produced this this snuff tape. And instead of you know it just being sex and, and murder, as I understand snuff tapes, it is uh, these little heads on arms torso creatures just uh, you know murdering these women. And uh, it's still you know marketed as erotic, and you, you kind of have to follow the the trail of breadcrumbs. And uh, you eventually get to the company, uh, or a representative of the company. And he, he tells you, you know, he, he didn't make the tapes. He didn't even, all they did was find them. And, uh, they, you know, they, they tell you about an old mansion where, where the tapes were shot. Or no, no, he gives you the tape and then the guy who gives you the quest recognizes the mansion. Right. So leading, leading to one of the better set pieces in the game, which is the, and I have a hard time pronouncing this word. Samis. Samis. Okay, there, there's a, which is the, the Samis mansion. Samis are kind of a bad guy uh, vampire. There's a, an evil clan called the sabbat who are kind of pretty much you know stand for for not not anarchy they just want to kill humans and and uh you know everybody in the game dismisses them as pretty much just idiots and shitheads <laughs> which i really like like yeah. they're not masterminds they're just you know you know the asshole you went to high school with if you became a vampire <laughs> um so you go to, to his mansion and they, they have this kind of like uh fleshcomancy power they can <laughs> they can shape people into different things and uh, he into right, human centipedes, right? Yeah, it's pretty much human centipede. The game at, the, at this point, <laughs> I, I didn't think about that, but this is that probably does have a lot in common with that. I haven't mm-hmm. seen human centipede. Neither have I. I'm just uh, atrocious. Yeah, I mean, you get, I mean, you get pretty much what you need from it. Yep. Just, just you know, just from the, the title alone. One thing um, that bothers me as somebody who has an in, insight into into video and film production, like snuff, snuff films shouldn't have that many like camera angles and like pans and zooms and stuff. You know, <laughs> I think I think snuff film. I think of I, I think of a uh, stationary camera on on some on some very sad people. Um, I, I think yeah, I like how you're you're critiquing this from like a, a videographer. <laughs> <laughs> but but, it's, but it's but it's cool because you you see like the like this the setting from the video, you, you know, and just like oh. Oh, that's where that happened and you see where the cameras and stuff were set up and all of the furniture is made of people yeah he's used this power to turn people into furniture which is straight up old school nazi you know skin lampshades yeah. and uh he's he's real creepy he's a really good villain and uh even the fight with him is pretty good yeah i mean uh, this is about where I, I feel like they ran out of testing budget um, for like, uh, make, maybe you shouldn't be able to get caught up on, you know, geometry and props, like what, you know, when they start throwing bodies at you and stuff and it makes it difficult to move and it's like, okay, I'm hung up. Oh, now I'm dead. Uh, but the, but the boss fight with him is good just because he is such a, a good villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, and he, you sh- he shows up later too. Oh, he's, yeah. he's kind of the leader of the Sabbat. So you fight him to a standstill and he, re- he retreats. Mm-hmm. 
and then you descend from this mansion into the sewers. The yeah, sewer goddamn level. sewers. I hope everyone was looking forward to this when they they started playing because <laughs> you knew it was coming. Sewer level, classic, classic sewer level. And uh, th- this sewer level is one of my least favorite sewer levels. Um, it is hard because it is confusing with the way that. So here are some traits that all sewer levels share that uh, that make this one bad as well. Um, all the geometry looks the same, so it's really hard to say you know which way is is what you know which way you're going, which way you came from, because all the walls look the same, all the the marks are the same, and there was always limited resources. Like you're in a sewer, so you're not going to be able to heal, you're not going to be able to rest, anything like that. Those two things together should make people not want to put sewer levels in games. Woe to anybody who play as a Ventru in this one, because your yeah. only source of blood is rats, and the Ventru cannot feed on rats. And l- luckily you can buy uh, blood packs um, from a pretty demented guy who runs a blood <laughs> bank, who's who's a character I like in this game. He's real hammy. Yeah. Um, but there's no indication that, hey, you should spend all of your money on blood packs before you go into this thing. Yeah. And it would be fine if they made it. This should have been a creepy level. Like if mm. this would have been a, a crawl through and be exposed to eerie shit, it would have been fine because you wouldn't have to worry about blood. You know, it, it would have had more kind of markers to mark your way. But instead, it's one of the most combat intensive parts of the game. Um, you're fighting tons of those little heads on arms. They introduce some new monsters to the game. You get to a boss fight, uh, which is this really pretty unnerving, multiple pregnant women sewed together centipede <sighs> thing. Yeah. Um, and it's really, you know, I was playing as a melee character uh, rather than a gun character. Same here. And, and uh, it was really difficult because you, could, you can only get in a couple of hits on her without getting knocked back. So it was a really difficult boss fight. And after you beat it, you, defend, you descend to a level where that boss is crawling everywhere. Yep. <laughs> like you play one of them like a boss fight, and then there are like seven of them right below you. <laughs> no big deal. And, and they introduce this other thing that's just like this fat piece of shit with a claw for an arm that can slow you. Yep, so you can't even run from the things. It's ridiculous. It's so it's, it's so bad. Like if this isn't where they ran out of testing, this is where they should have fired their testers. Like the very least, like... <laughs> You know, this is this is really rough. Yeah, I mean, and this is about the point where I decided to enable the console and mm. uh, the 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 command that you should remember if you um, in any way rolled uh, a non combat character is G O D. Mm-hmm. And and failing that, uh, no clip also oh. <laughs> also works just fine for for navigating the maze. You actually, I I ended up since this the first time I got through this level, I played through uh, honestly. And on some of these playthroughs for the podcast, I, I've cheated when I get to, to parts that are frustrating. You say that, you know, you kind of revert to uh, to cheating, um, for lack of a better word, um, to get through these playthroughs for the podcast. This is the the first time where I really felt like it was a necessity uh, to do it, to beat the game in time. This is a big game. Yeah, it's it's long. And, and um, so you eventually you get, you know, so you get through this, this gauntlet of, of shit that is, that is the sewers, both literally and figuratively, probably. Um, what a, what a weird thing, like, ca- first of all, <laughs> it's so weird that video games are casual, casually have you go into a sewer all the time. Like, I, I don't want to be in a sewer at all. Like, if I think about sewers, that's like the last place I want to be. I, that's where I put things I don't want. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I don't it's, want something, I- it's, 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 it's the memory hole. Just make this go away. To- totally. Also, who, where, where are these sewers that are like 10 levels deep? Yeah. You know, it's not, not just, they're not just under the city. They go, you know, even further under, you know, they're, they're, it's like a 10 story reverse 
building. It's it's like the goddamn city from It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, there's the sewer, then there's the sub-sewer, then there's basically the bowels of hell. Um, so. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot like that. And when, when you get to the equivalent of the bowels of hell, you know, you, you get a kind of a reprise. You get to another uh, city area, the, the city of the Nosferatu. Which is not, uh, you know, not super great or fun to explore, or anything. I mean, there's there's some fun side quests that you can do, including compelling a supermodel to commit suicide. Yeah, um, <laughs> that is a good uh, good quest. And you meet the the kind of the leader of the Nosferatu, who I really like, uh, who's also name is Gary. <laughs> yep. Um, but he's he's a he's a pretty charming, fun character. Ooh, he does not like Toreadors. Um, oh no! I, that's interesting. You got some some special dialogue that I did not get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just he yeah, has nothing but contempt, and, and it's interesting because the uh, you learn a lot about the Nosferatu recruiting processes. Mm-hmm. Basically, they try and find people who are vain and then convert them to Nosferatu to break their spirit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that that's an interesting piece of a uh, piece of story. Or right, I was just gonna say that you know Hollywood has and it just has a couple of of noteworthy side quest um there's not there's not lots there's a really nice little moment though um when you when you're walking along and there's a a girl named samantha who recognizes you from your other life like you actually run into somebody who is who knew you before you became a vampire and pretty much to to uphold the masquerade you have to trick her into into not believing that it's you and she's really concerned for you it's really genuine and just kind of a little heartbreaking it is and it's just kind of like i i kind of tried to play that as i would have and the 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 consequence for that like you said is the is the masquerade violation but a lot of this goes into like i I guess i don't understand the lore but why would being turned into a vampire change your values i would think i would think that like myself after you know a couple of nights of this of dealing with all of these assholes (laughs) would be like please some comfort for my former (laughs) life you know please take me back (laughs) i'm gonna get a job overnight and then I'm i'm gonna go live in your your apartment yeah. So I don't have to go any more serious. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, of course the, the prince would, would compel you. Mm, yeah. So after, after you, you know, you found out who the Nosferatu are and they, of course, you know, everybody wants a favor. So that's why you're doing all these things. Um, you're a pawn of all these people. And before they'll tell you where the, the sarcophagus is, you have to retrieve one of their agents from Chinatown. Uh, Chinatown is, are controlled by the Kwai Jin who are these kind of, uh, Asian semi vampires, um, it, it's their domain. Yeah, and this kind of feels like uh, it's from a different game or a different genre, or uh, something like that. It kind of it, like the entire Chinatown section and and, and with the Quajin, it kind of feels like those uh, like every generation of D and D had the like the Oriental Adventures yeah. kind of book, <laughs> where they just like spent hundreds of pages describing weird dragons and giving overly long expl- explanations of katanas. <laughs> What's kind of obnoxious is that um, you know she seems to come out of nowhere. She's actually pretty important to the plot. Oh yeah. Uh, when you when you leave Grout's mansion, and we you know we didn't say this at the time, but you find Grout dead, and you find the leader of the Anarchs, who are kind of the the anti-establishment vampires, leaving, and uh, you know he gets framed, and it causes all this conflict. And it's actually these Quijen can shapeshift, so it's actually her pretending to be be him, and they foreshadow it like he acts really weird when you meet him. But it's still pretty unsatisfying when she shows up and when this clan kind of shows up because they're just not as interesting and they definitely feel like something tacked on. Like earlier when we talked about how, you know, there are werewolves and and mages and stuff that show up in this game and it kind of feels like a sampler of everything. This is kind of where that doesn't work. Yeah. And it's it's strange that because this game takes so much from Deus Ex, um, 
it's almost appropriate that this game too falls apart when you go to Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually really like Chinatown Deus Ex, oh, okay. but the voice acting definitely falls apart. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and let's let's just say it's it's disturbing how uh, how Asian American stereotypes are acceptable still. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you run into one of my my favorite Asian American stereotypes in this section is uh, there's you go to to Shang's herb shop. Yep, or Shang's herb shop. Who's a, a World War II Japanese general? Who uh, you just kind of he sells weapons and it, it, masquerading as an herb shop, and he's ridiculous, and his voice acting is ridiculous. <laughs> he's got like an eye patch, and he's dressed like a commandant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's some fun, like the main quest in this game. Um, you know, there's a couple of just more dungeony things. One of my the the really kind of redeeming factor of this that I think is really cool is uh, when you eventually find the the Nosferatu agent. He's been captured by this uh, the, this thing called the Foo Syndicate and this character called the Mandarin, who is uh, human researching vampires to know how to better kill them. So he sends you uh, through kind of a, a gauntlet of uh, tests and traps and everything to kind of, you know, and he very clinically observes you, um, you know, and, and it's a pretty good sequence. And there are some nice little references. He's got a, the team that he sends in to take you out. It's called the Belmont Squad. Um, <laughs> It's, I thought that part of the, this part of the game was really neat and really satisfying when you uh, you eventually find the the Nosferatu and the two of you Marvel team up to uh, to kill the Mandarin <laughs> and, and his his people. Yeah, that's satisfying because you think that oh this is like a hacker he's not going to be able to hold his own he does he he tears some shit up. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I think my favorite moment from that whole test was the uh, was the researcher in the hazmat suit, terrified, holding a cross. Yeah, right? <laughs> you just chase him around, <laughs> like uh, he just runs from you and, <laughs> until you decide to kill him. That's that's, that's super fun. Yeah. Um, there's a couple okay side quests in this. There's a neat. Um, you run into a girl who's hunting a, a demon, and it's like this were shark thing, and uh, she's kind of like an anime stereotype. And there's some fun as a Malkavian. There are a couple of fun like little references. Like after you fight the the were shark, you tell her, you know, oh, I bet you you're glad that thing didn't have tentacles, right? No. You know, and things things like that. Like it's aware that it's 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 doing it on purpose. Yeah, it's referential. Again, another quest that I didn't get that I didn't realize was available until I talked to a friend about the game. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I just wasn't observant, Carrie. Yeah, you got you gotta you gotta practice your mist uh, <laughs> mechanics there. I'm, yeah. But uh, it, it's it's over pretty quickly. I, f- I feel like this chapter. It, it kind of uh, once you reach Chinatown, you're kind of on a toboggan ride right into the end game. Right, and the end game is definitely the worst part of this game. Um, this is where it where it falls apart. Um, you you know you you it's kind of a series of four dungeons at the end. Um, you have to you get the the sarcophagus back, but it needs a key. So in order to get the key, you have to go to this... Uh, a scientist has been captured by something called the Society of Leopold. And uh, he knows how... He's a specialist on sarcophaguses. And uh, he can he can open it for you. So you go through kind of their dungeon. I love that dungeon, too. I love the hunters in general. You encounter them kind of rarely. It's really only here that you fight them. But uh, they are, like... They, they're the outcasts from high school. Like they're they're they're, they're <laughs> neckbeards who wear long leather trench coats and carry katanas openly. Um, yeah, it, it is so so satisfying to kill them. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like a whole a whole group of like silent bobs. Like it's it's just like an island of silent bobs, and uh, you know they're they're ridiculous too. Like they're they're really dumb. There's there's one who's like the main one whose name is like Gunter or something like that, and he's got the worst like German, you know, uh, stereotype accent. And he's the boss fight of this part, and it's just ridiculous. Like, 
he it's, it's pretty funny like you're, you're in an obstacle course for training people to kill vampires and, <laughs> and there are all the these cutouts. like cardboard cutouts yeah of like cartoon vampires and stuff like it's pretty funny but it's like like a sniper boss fight where the sniper when you get up to him he can teleport to the other side of the map oh, God, so, so why can you teleport like you teleport to the cross like you know you're not scared of crosses it doesn't make any sense. And the and you you would think like, okay, so this is going to be a sniper duel, like for Metal Gear Solid. If you happen to have a sniper rifle, um, the thing is damn near impossible to use. Yeah. They, so the gunplay in this game in general is not great. Uh, and it's weird because they try and kind of shoehorn, you know, this statistical incompetence at shooting. Like if you don't, if you're not good at shooting, if you're not rolled to shoot, then well, okay, you're not going to be able to shoot. Well, problem is they try to do this in the source engine, which I feel like is one of the, you know, most sound shooting engines that there is. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it's, it, 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 it's almost frustrating because you forget. (laughs) You expect it to be better, but it's not. It, It doesn't come off very well. So it's a pretty obnoxious boss fight there. Next, you end up you you go to uh, you have to take out the Sabat. When you come back, the Sabat have uh, attacked Ventrue Tower where the prince is, and he wants you to go get revenge. And there's kind of an interesting thing here. Um, before you go to the Ventrue Hotel, if you go back to visit your haven and you rescue the ghoul uh, Heather, she made her your ghoul. She gives you the best armor in the game. And there's no hint that this is going to happen. You just have to kind of intuitively happen to visit home at that time. Mm-hmm. But if you do this. Then she also gets captured by the Sabbat. Oh, no. So, um, and I don't know how your playthrough happened with this, but she, at the end of the, the Sabbat level, she was killed for me. Hmm. Um, did she survive to the end of the game for you? Yeah, she survived. She was in my haven up until the very end. Um, I didn't even know that, uh, that, that the, uh, you got armor from her, actually. She's, uh, she just kind of finds it. What's interesting is if you check in on her through various points in the game, um, sometimes she will... <laughs> what's going on? If she, she brings you home. She's like a puppy. She brings you home yeah. things so yeah. you can give her approval. Yeah, she, bring, you know, she, she does different things for you. Um, she brings people over and locks them in your bathroom uh, for you to feed on. She also, you can ask her for money. And the first time she has like $20 on her. And the second time she drops out of college and gives you her, all of her college money, which is like $500. Oh, no. And you're really like, this is a moment where you can, if you want to be an asshole, like uh, Heather's a really good opportunity because she's so indebted to you both, you know, uh, metaphysically and supernaturally, but also plot wise that, uh, you know, she loves you so much and has to, and you can just be, you know, such a shithead if you want to. Yeah. And uh, just treat her like a, you know, just like this blood sack, this reinflating, <laughs> you know, blood sack. Um so you, know, you get various things from her. Eventually you can get this armor, but you kind of have to make the choice that if you get the armor, she's also going to end up being kidnapped. Right. Uh, she confesses that people have been following her Ooh. and that she's nervous. Yeah. But she's so kind of weird anyway that you probably, I mean, uh, you probably disregard it. I don't know. Right. And there's yeah. not very much reason to go back to, uh, to your hub. Um, you have an email account throughout the game and you get missions through that and uh, you know some, some spam mail. And then also there's a mysterious chess master who talks about the game in, in chess metaphors. That's Kane, right? Yeah. So okay. I'm pretty, pretty sure that's getting into the end game. Pretty sure that's Kane. <laughs> yeah. Who is also your, uh, your, your taxi driver. Yeah. He's, and he's the first vampire. He's the Bible Kane. Yeah. And, uh, the, uh, one of the neatest things in the game that happened as a, a Malkavian is, uh, when I went to make that visit to Heather to get the armor, um, is when the TV started talking to me. <laughs> and, uh, that's a really cool, you know, moment. It's, the TV talks about the plot, and you can tell it to tell you a joke. 
And it tells you a joke that is like a nice metaphor for the story. That's really cool. Um, where he says that there's a, um, a fish and a fishmonger and, uh, the fishmonger killed the fish's father. So the fish goes to the fishmonger and says, I, I'm going to play you in chess. And if, if I win, I'm going to kill you. And if, if you win, then you can kill me and I'm going to get revenge on my father. And the fishmonger says, okay. And they play chess and the, uh, the fish beats the fishmonger. And he's like, I beat you now. Now you have to die. And the fishmonger kills the fish. And uh, the fish says, but I won. And the fishmonger says, so did your father. <laughs> and that's such like a nice little, like, that's the kind of thing that's happening to you constantly in this game. Yeah. Where, you know, and it's just like, I, again, like, I, I really love that kind of like metatextual, like layeredness that, that is in the, in, in the game. Um, another just kind of weird pro tip. The way they did the TV studio is it actually exists outside of each of your havens. Okay. So if you know clip, you can go to where they're shooting the TV huh. the thing. And there's money there. It just as like an Easter egg because I knew people would cheat. That's cool. You can you can find money there. Each of your havens. Mm-hmm. Do you get additional havens? Well, you start out with the one in down in uh, Santa Monica, and then I got one downtown. Did okay. you get the downtown one? No, I did not. I was in Santa Monica all the, the whole time. And then also the uh, Nosferatu and the uh, Tremere both have special ones. Okay. So you could have gotten the downtown one. You just have to be really nice to the prince. And you had to yeah. not kill anybody on those those uh, missions to the museum and the ship. Yeah, and he will uh, he'll give you the uh, apartment in that apartment building that you broke into. Oh, the apartment yeah. you can't get into that becomes your house. That's cool. Okay, yeah, I didn't realize that. I was kind of like, oh man, I'm supposed to be moving up in the world, and I'm in this roach house, <laughs> <laughs> roach house. Yeah, it it, it is a nicer house. hotel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the, but speaking of the hotels, goddamn that hotel. I, I rolled as a melee um, fighter just because... The, the hotel, just to clarify, is where you fight the Sabah. Yes. When you send you to the, yeah. where, where you're supposed to go in and just completely wipe them off the face of L.A. Um, I, I, I rolled as melee and, you know, I, you know, in my long coat and katana um, in true Matrix-esque fashion. Um, and just every enemy takes so many hits to kill. And there are yeah. so many of them. Yeah, this 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 part is not fun. And they uh, the game followed up by doing two more that are almost exactly like <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Um, th- this is really obnoxious. Eventually, you you know the you fight the emboss of the uh, uh, of the the sabbat, and that's that's you know satisfying, and it's good that you know you get to fight him. He becomes this weird blood golem yeah. kind of thing that can teleport through pools of blood, and it's pretty neat. And you also get the best melee weapon in the game. Um, you find a sword, in, in a magical sword in his lair that does the. Uh, in Vampire, there's regular damage and aggravated damage, which hurts mm-hmm. supernatural things. And you get a sword that does aggravated damage. Yeah. So um, it's worth it kind of from a gameplay. You get a nice reward, but getting there fucking sucks. Yeah. Then after that, uh, you know, depending on what you decide to do, um, do you always go up to visit Nines and propose an alliance? No, no, uh, you don't have to do that. You can choose to... So there's kind of four endings of the game and four ways you can side and it actually has a gameplay influence too like which levels you have to do yeah which is kind of nice um if you side with nines then you have to take out uh both the prince and the kwaijin um you can side with either the prince or the kwaijin and then you just have to take out you know one or the other or you can just be independent and you have to take out both right um so if you if you want to you can propose an alliance with nines um you go visit him at a, at a hotel and he gives you a grenade and uh, you have to go to both, take out two more dungeons, uh, equally <laughs> as monotonous as the last. Yeah, I thought that the uh, the um, the temple 
uh, mm-hmm. with with the Quajin was uh, worse than the hotel. Um, at, at least the hotel kind of had the moment where you could, where you fought the demented or dominated guard uh, of Lacroix, and you mm-hmm. <laughs> like the suicide bomb moment. I thought mm-hmm. that was good, especially when you realize you can use the astrolite to clear an entire floor. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was nice, uh, but yeah, goddamn that temple with its it, it's kind of like the sewers. Everything looks kind of the same. You have enemies that can chop out from the walls and come at you, so there are monster closets. Um, and uh, that boss fight against yeah. Ming Zhao, uh, I can't think of a single like no matter what. Even if I had the best weapon, thousands of hits. If I didn't have God Mode on, I would not have been able to win. Yeah, she's really tough, and the uh, she she's pretty much she's just a, a sexy woman, and then turns into like pretty much a Cthulhu at the end, like this weird slime tentacle thing. <laughs> That can self replicate and make little versions of itself, and it's uh, it's fucking tough. Yeah. Uh, two, two kind of interesting things about that fight, though, um, or one not so interesting, but they they do kind of play some lip service to to puzzles in that fight. There are a couple of weird little puzzle things you have to solve, and it's like they're almost like they're trying, um, but they're not doing very well. But one of the cool things is that if you did the quest for the little anime schoolgirl and hunted down the fish demon. She'll go with you through most of that puzzle, that most of that tunnel. Oh, wow! Like she has a she has a crossbow and she'll help you fight to get your way in. Cool. Which is a really yeah, it was really cool. Like you meet her outside and and she's a demon hunter and she she realizes that you're you know essentially a demon, but she'll she'll help you because you helped her. Hmm. And that's a really cool bit. But she doesn't stay until the boss, and the boss is still yeah ridiculous. So you know, then you go to the Ventru Tower. Um, you had mentioned with the the astrolite and the suicide, you know, bomb guard. It's pretty neat, but it is still just fighting a lot of generic yeah. goons going through generic hotel floors. And I, I um, liked I liked the fight against the sheriff, um, both stages of it. Um, that like that that felt like a proper climax because he's built up as this badass throughout the entire game, and when he morphs into a bat and you use the uh, the the searchlights to take him down. Um, if you roll melee like I did, that was yeah. that was a good time. Yeah, he the uh, the the prince has this character called the sheriff, who's just this huge hulking monster that's with him during the entire entire game. He's it's actually the guy who was going to cut off your head in the very first scene. So they show him in scene one and continue to show him throughout the game. It's really satisfying to fight him. I also like that when he turns into a bad, he attacks <laughs> you by picking up uh, pedestrians from the street, hucking them at you. <laughs> that and like taxi doors and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. So he's just throwing human beings at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, then you know, so you get the you get the ending, and depending on which one you chose, if you if you choose the way it plays in gameplay, that's interesting is if you choose something that's going to be an evil ending, like if you side with the Quijin or the Ventru. Um, you get a, a bad ending. Uh, if you if you side with the the Kai, Kai Jin, um, they they punish you. They they don't want the sarcophagus open, but they also know you know about it. So they chain you to it and throw you into the ocean. So you sink to the bottom of the ocean, unable to escape, and you live forever and you don't have to breathe. So that's a pretty pretty dark fate. But and, metal uh, rusts, especially in salt water. Right, leaving the <laughs> the door open for bloodlines to yep. revenge of the kind that, that, that never happened. But the uh, and if you side with the prince, or regardless of whether you side with him, um, he opens the coffin, 
And uh, <laughs> I love uh, that. yeah, so Smiling Jack, being the ultimate badass and one of the greatest characters in video game history, has uh, removed the the mummy from it and filled it with explosives. And uh, it's an awesome moment. Like you, uh, you go to the the prince. Um, you know, you you can choose to open it or you can choose to walk away. You walk away, and the prince, uh, you've stabbed him in the heart, which which hurts him. And he's uh, crawling towards the coffin, and he opens it and just sees all kinds of explosives and just starts laughing uh, maniacally and uh, gets blown to to smithereens. Loved it. I, I I mean, knowing that I had saved before I did the ending, I out of curiosity opened it myself. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, that must just be like the joke ending because I opened it despite everybody telling me don't open it. Um, But then when I saw that it was the actual ending, I was like, that's just that's just perfect because the entire game is this big Lebowski shaggy dog story. And uh, just as that uh, kind of anticlimax ending, it's it's uh, like in, in one way, if you were taking the game too seriously, it could probably make you angry, but uh, it, it fits the tone so well. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's really satisfying to to see the the last scene where it's a smiling Jack and he's sitting on a across the river from Ventrue Tower with the the sarcophagus or the uh, mummy, yeah, from the sarcophagus, and Kane, who's the uh, who's the the cab driver. <laughs> You know, and the first vampire, and they're just pretty much toasting to this explosion on the horizon. It's really kind of like a, a really nice moment, like very kind of poetic. Yeah, and that's the so, game. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's Bloodlines. Yeah, so kind of in general terms, were there any uh, gameplay things that we didn't touch on that maybe you wanted to talk about, um, or just things you you know you liked or didn't like that are not plot related? That are not plot related. I mean, we, we we heaped a lot of praise on the on the writing itself, but I liked a lot of the uh, references that were peppered throughout. You can tell that the developers were nerds. Um, mm-hmm. Like you walk into a uh, you walk into a net cafe, and you know there are there's like graffiti above the stations, like saying no, you know, no AWP, and you know he's a camper right. and all that, you know, which gave me uh, warm fuzzy flashbacks to my days of playing Counter Strike. <laughs> but there's also like different books you can get, like one on uh, for the bargaining skill is uh, titled ABC Always Be Closing. You know, mm-hmm. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. We mentioned the Belmont team, and I'm pretty certain that Grout. Uh, them choosing that name for him is a reference to Syphil and Ollie. Uh, yeah, which which is really obscure, but not you know the game the the uh, breadth of of references they choose that's not outside of possibility yeah. at all. And then of course when you ask uh, uh, Gary about uh, Chinatown, he says, "Forget a boss, it's Chinatown," yeah. which I was yeah. waiting for. <laughs> super super nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like that in the game. I feel like the um, you know and the, and all the the actual even not just the references. And the kind of subtext and foreshadowing that they use, all of the writing is really good. Like all of you know, there isn't very much clunky dialogue. You know, the characters deliver it really well. It's you know, it, it feels feels right for the most part in kind of a way that I haven't uh, you know I don't see very often. And this is a real troika thing. You know, that company, and even you know, even moving on to kind of Obsidian, which shares some members with that. Um, this is what they do: is they they make games that have really awesome stories and great dialogue and great player choice. And just kind of fall apart mechanically, and it, it drives me nuts because they're some of my favorite games, but they're just they're so they're never going to be perfect. Um, Arcanum has this problem as well, and that's a that's a really great game. Like I love Arcanum, but it's not, you know, it's it's similar in that respect. 
And that does come through, especially when they remember to let you be able to solve problems through conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I like this kind of, you know, L.A. Noir ask, you know, to retroactively apply it, uh, just kind of aspect where you have to kind of gauge what the person wants. And if you're trying to manipulate them, appeal to their kind of, you know, whatever will get you your way. I'm thinking specifically of a side quest where you have to convince um, a food critic to give a bad review of a place. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you basically have a bunch of options, none of which are, you know, uh, your persuasion skill. It's kind of like the way to do it. It's kind of like you realize, okay, this guy is a really kind of like proud douchebag. So you just say, yeah, you're getting kind of a reputation for never giving a bad review. It's like, oh, I better do this. And just there are moments like that throughout the game where it's not just like, oh, that's blue text. I better select that because I'll win. But it has, you know, requires you to, you know, read your um, kind of marks, as it were. Right. In that that quest says a Malkavian, you use your powers on him to make him think he's been eating maggots. <laughs> so, so the uh, I, I blue texted it or red text is actually uh, dementation. Okay, but um, it you know it, it there are lots of of options for that, which is just you know that's just very cool and and to me makes that worth playing. And the, also that that kind of that this the Deus Ex genre, the kind of first or third person role playing game with lots of different options to solve quests is maybe my favorite genre in video games, like, overall. And there's so few games like that. Like, there's, there's like, five. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's, like, Deus Ex, this, you know, Alpha Protocol, um, Deus Ex 2. Like, there, there's so few of these games. I feel like each one is pretty much a national treasure. And I, I just, I, I love it so much, games that allow me to do that kind of thing. And it's, it's, you know, Fallout and New Vegas aren't exactly like that, but those are some of my favorite games, too. And I just, I really like that, that kind of freedom... In, in how I want to approach a situation. That's really important to me in games and in my, in my favorite favorite games. I remember at the time that I got this and played it initially, uh, very shortly after it, it launched, um, thinking this game is the quintessential PC game. It, it requires such a, a, a beefy system for one, but uh, the structure was just so unlike anything that was available on consoles at the time. And it's kind of strange playing it eight years later and looking at it and thinking like, okay, the games that are most similar to this now are practically leading on consoles. Right. You know, Fallout and uh, the Elder Scrolls, things like that. So it's it's weird how far we've come and just kind of how, um, despite all odds, this kind of design philosophy has uh, kind of made its way into the mainstream. Right. And I, I, I definitely appreciate that. And it's, it's kind of, it's interesting because it's paralleled um, you know, how I've kind of, I hate, I, I was about to say developed as a gamer, which <laughs> sounds stupid, but yeah, how, I, how I've kind of changed in my, my taste, you know, because I, I've definitely gotten into that, that PC philosophy a lot more than I used to be when I was younger. Like this was when I was, you know, 15 or 16 and not to disparage them, but when I was just playing, you know, final fantasies on super Nintendo and, and platformers and everything, this, the idea of this kind of player choice would have paralyzed me. It wouldn't, I it wouldn't have worked. You know, and now it's something I actively look for. So, and I, it's just kind of interesting the way that the the industry is kind of following. You know, is kind of I'm becoming in line with it. I don't know if that character choice and everything would have been as um, successful. I feel like it would have been more daunting if they hadn't written the characters and made them as strong as they are. Right. I mean, it feels like you know everybody is kind of this. Uh, um, 
jerk that you're having to deal with and that you're having to appease. And, you know, the characters that are likable are really likable. I like Mercurio a lot. And in fact, he's one of the people who that seer says, um, you, you can trust, you can trust him, trust the man on the couch. And that's true. He becomes your arms dealer and everything. And I, I was trying to figure out like, why do I like Mercurio a lot? He actually reminds me of an actor that I worked with on an internship that I did <laughs> on a, on a, uh, on a daytime television drama that may or may not, um, involve worlds turning. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> he was, a, he was a great guy. I really liked him. So I was like, Oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay. There we go. But, uh, yeah, the characters in this game just super strong. And, uh, I think that facilitates, um, a lot of what makes this game so memorable. Right. It would be meaningless to to have this kind of freedom in a world that wasn't well flushed out and populated. Right. Right. Well, do we have any kind of like wayward frustrations that we didn't address in the in the body of, uh, of the game discussion? Uh, one, one thing, and I I'm always kind of careful about stating things like this because there's a, a, a real knee jerk reaction against this kind of you know analysis in anything entertainment wise. But as and this, I didn't feel this the first time I played the game. I just kind of felt it now. Um, is I got kind of a little bit uh, creeped out and grossed out by the the way the kind of sexual politics of this game. Yeah, I don't want to overanalyze it too much, but you know, almost every woman is dressed in their underwear or some degree of underwear, and is really over sexualized. And they have you know huge bounce and tatties. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like just just these, and and it it's kind of it just grosses me out. A lot of them kind of use, uh, you know, their kind of vampishness, um, not to to pun on that, but like you know, are kind of seductress, you know, seductressism, um, in the game, and it just it's kind of gross. I'm wondering if that's something that is kind of endemic to the setting. Like you spend a lot of time in strip clubs and. <laughs> I, I feel like that's probably true. Like, I mean, I, I mean in fact, I'm, I'm 100% it, it, you know, sure that's true. It's still just a little gross, though. It even comes down to your character. Like, uh, all of my outfits were very scantily clad. You know, either like dominatrix gear or like, uh, you know, various kind of leather fetishness. Um, you know, and it just kind of, uh, it's kind of immature. It speaks to something gross in the, in the, the gaming culture. You know, just the, the, the booth babe. Mm. And uh, the fact that, you know, we're all guys who who you know totally objectify women and and uh that's all we're interested in you know the the dead or alive beach volleyball set yeah you know <laughs> that that is a perfectly valid complaint i mean no knowing what i knew about the game coming in for the second playthrough i was like okay i i know that you know a playing as a, a female character is the best way to get what I want from a non-combat playthrough just because anybody, no matter what can be seduced. Right. It's a skill. <laughs> yeah. They mechanicize it. So it's literally something you can get better at by spending experience and become better at kind of, you know, just weaponizing sex. And it's a great way to get free blood. Um, I, yeah. I was, I was never at a lack of, of blood, you know, pretty much all of the people I fed from outside of combat were willing. Um, right. so, so that, that wasn't a challenge for me. Um, but it's just, it, it, again, it's one of those weird things where every woman that you meet is bisexual, but none of the guys are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, making out with, uh, or, you know, that kind of sexual relationship you have with your ghoul, um, you know, female on female, you know, just like not, there's not a blink to it, but there's no, no way to seduce a, a guy. Um, 
And the guy, the game kind of tries to subvert that a couple times. Um, like if you try and seduce anybody in the Giovanni mansion, which we didn't really address. Um, yeah. But if you try and seduce people there, they 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 just about throw you out. Yeah, they they, <laughs> they do not tolerate it. There's also you know with Jeanette um, in the beginning, uh, you know she's she's definitely played up as kind of this like sex machine, and uh, you can ultimately can have sex with her if you're a big fan of screens fading to black in video games, um, but. The kind of the last scene where she is half Jeanette and half Therese and going crazy, it's not played for sex. Like, it's not, you know, it almost feels like a little bit like they're punishing you, but I don't want to give them that much credit. Right. Like, they're, you know, that they're trying to boner punish you for, for being, uh, <laughs> you know, being, being aroused by pixels. Um, so, I mean, they kind of do some things with it, but there's even a, a set of side quests in the game where um, Gary, the, the uh, Nosferatu primogen, if in exchange for he he wants old tapes, he's an old Hollywood star, mm-hmm. and uh, if you can find uh, cassette tapes of his old movies, he'll give you you know pinup posters of the girls of the game, right? You know, so there is kind of that attitude is endemic. Yeah, the, and something else that kind of seems endemic to the to, to the setting as well is this kind of um, product of the times, early two thousand, late nineties. We're going to listen to Rob Zombie's Dracula and. Uh, <laughs> Um, dress up in leather like we're from the Matrix, and it's just kind of this this crusty gothic urban grind rave aesthetic, yeah. uh, especially in a lot of the clubs and things like that. That really, really turns me off for some yeah. reason. I 100 percent agree. Like anytime you go into a nightclub or strip club, it's pretty annoying, and the music gets really bad. It's licensed. And it's all these you know LA goth bands that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. Um, so where the aesthetic works for me is the is the supernatural haunted shit. Yeah, you know any of the you know the monster stuff I really loved, and then uh, any of the the actual cool kid club stuff <laughs> is just kind of is like okay, come on. It just falls so flat, and I just it, it makes me think like, was this ever cool? Right. No, 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 it was never <laughs> cool. So, <laughs> so why like pin the entire like half the game's aesthetic to it? You know, right. uh, except for, you know, if you're trying to appeal to somebody who likes that kind of stuff. But I mean, aside from the aesthetics, you know, this game does notoriously have a lot of technical problems that even playing patched um, with with the unofficial patch, you know, the most recent um, version of that, which, you know, I don't I, I was not able to tell a lot of the difference, like in the content that they may or may not have added back in. And it was stable. You know, I was mm-hmm. running it, uh, you know, before on a system that I built specifically for Half-Life 2 and it didn't run that well at all. Now I'm running it on my MacBook Pro and it's like running like a champ, but still it would crash to desktop during load screens. So, you know, I would just constantly save, save against the dying of the light, you know? Right. right. And and the even, you know, I didn't have a lot of crashes, but there are a lot of animation glitches. Oh, man. Like the actual character models looked pretty good. I thought, yeah, like but the facial animation things... was amazing too. Yeah, it's really good. But there's a lot of things like no one's hair would not clip through their neck and shoulders. <laughs> like everybody, like hair is a real challenge in this game for mm-hmm. for, for the the people, and a lot of just like weird things like that, like people ending up in walls. Like there was a lot of, uh, especially during that hotel fight with the Sabat. I would hit somebody and it would be a critical or something and they would fly up and get stuck in the ceiling <laughs> before <laughs> dissolving into sparks. I, I think this game is, is, is definitely worth your time. It's, you know, it's five bucks, you know, maybe a third of the year thanks to steam and how, <laughs> how generous and awesome they are. Yeah. So definitely worth your time. The ending definitely falls apart, but I think it's worth cheating through the end to get to the story. 
Yeah. And the, I, I think a good like three fourths of the game is really good and, and really, really worth your time. And the rest is, is, is worth bearing with in spite of itself. Right. You just kind of have to power through. Now it's time for the listener participation section of the show, um, which is uh, kind of a uh, which is kind of a misnomer because the entire show is listener participation. Um, If you would like to (laughs) submit comments about any of the games that we uh, are talking about, uh, we'll tell you the next ones here at the end. But you can email us at watchoutforfireballs at duckfeed.tv. You can also call us at 419-834-WOFF. It's not toll free, but hey, phone minutes are cheap. Um, yep. and, and you can also find us on on facebook uh we are on there like everyone and uh on the something awful message boards um you know again i just want to thank everybody for the support there you guys have been really great and that's another place where you can get a hold of us if you happen to be a something awful goon we watch all of those like hawks so our first one comes uh via email from uh Fetus jones which is an awesome name by the way we have some excellent mm-hmm. names in our fan base He says, I purchased this game on sale from Steam probably a month or two ago, purely based on the price, and the atmosphere in the story looked worth a couple of bucks. Unfortunately, I was immediately met by having to download and install a patch after hunting through many internet forums. Needless to say, I gave up. When I saw that this was going to be your next game of discussion, I thought I'd give it another shot, but alas, I cannot get past the bugs on top of the already awkward controls so mr jones isn't a fan yeah yeah and it sounds like he just yeah he couldn't get you know couldn't power through that part and he had a more difficult time than i did getting it to run you know i don't i don't know exactly what strange alchemy you'll make one computer running the same operating system run a game fine and another one really struggle do you know what i had to do to get this game to run (laughs) <laughs> are you going to confess to to like, like, like had to drown a puppy or something like that like oh man i guess i did say that fairly uh, ominously yes, you know what i had to do no don't no. make light of this butterfield <laughs> um i'm a mac kid um you know have been for several years uh, and i have one i have i have an old macbook pro uh, that I used in school that is now dedicated to being my Windows gaming PC, which is fine. Has Windows 7 64-bit on there, and everything from good old games runs just fine, and, you know, it's really good compatibility. But this is one of the uh, few games I've encountered uh, that will not run in Windows 7 on 64-bit, um, the other one being Myst 5. So what I had to do was I had to take my main laptop um, and repartition it and install Windows XP on it in order to be able to play this game. Um, so, yeah. That, that is that is a lot to go through. A lot of I, gymnastics. Unfortunately, like, or not fortunately, with my computer now, it ran just fine. When I first got this game, um, you know, a few years ago, I had a, an older computer, and it was so clunky that I could only make it run if my character looked at the ground. But all the time <laughs> so and i really wanted to kind of because some indoor environments would be fine and i really t- was trying to power through because i was really excited about the game yeah there's not really a story about how i i heard about this just i i heard it was like deus ex and you know sign me up yeah um but the uh you know with my computer now it just it's effortless and i you know i feel privileged <laughs> given uh, how much difficulty everyone's having 
And that's, that's, I can't, I can't blame anybody for not wanting to power through that. That's, that's frustrating, you know, to, right. to, to deal with that. I think that's PC gaming in, in general, but I, I know of several people who would have my head on a pike if I criticize PC gaming. Um, so I will, uh, not <laughs> go there. Um, we have another comment from, uh, those something awful boards from Jet Set Lemming, who is a, a, a previous commenter as well. Also, I'm finding it oddly significantly harder than the last time I played. I guess I was a better class then. I don't remember exactly which one I picked. But now, as a Toreador, I have mostly wimp role-playing stats, and I'm finding combat pretty difficult, especially when those wimp stats fail. I have a stealth of 5, and even buffing it to 8 with blood buff, dudes keep turning around as soon as I get close enough to attempt to stealth kill them. I managed to stealth through Fat Larry's side quest to steal the briefcase from the parking garage, but didn't get the extra credit for that either. Brownie face. Uh, still, overall, it's fun. Mm. It's pretty impressive how well this beta source engine holds up, especially with animations. People you talk to actually have expressions on their faces and visible emotions. What other game from this ancient era could you point to that accomplished that? Not half bad at all for a 70-year-old game that just barely managed to squeak out of existence or squeak into existence before its creator imploded. Apparently, the 1.2 patch for the game was made by ex-developers after the company had already failed. They were working without pay, so their final release would not be shamefully broken. Um, he also has a, a quick recommendation for people who like this game. Uh, he recommends a game called Pathologic, which I have not played, but I will definitely be looking up um, based on, on this recommendation. Yeah, I like the cut of this Jet Set Lemmings jib. No, the, 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 the importance of the facial animations can't be overstated, I think, because this game does kind of do the uh the bethesda vision <laughs> where every time you talk to somebody it is um this very uninteresting <laughs> front-on shot where the person is composed right in the center of it and they're talking at you um almost condescendingly um it's so important that there is actually life in people's eyes and they're moving around um and, and you can see what they're thinking that's that, that that's so important because i don't again going back to the game wouldn't be as fun if the characters weren't likable, and I don't think the characters would be as likable as they are if they didn't animate right. so and, well. And he, he picks up on that point that we had made about uh, you know the game giving you these kind of role-playing stats and then not allowing you to follow up with them, which is, which is frustrating. Yeah. I think it was a glitch that he didn't get. The, the side quest he talks about where he doesn't get the extra experience for stealthing it, um, I did. I, I played through, and we didn't really talk about this, but there, one of the powers you can get is called obfuscation, which is just invisibility. And if you uh, power it up all the way, you can do you, you don't become visible unless you attack someone. So you can run, you can uh, open doors, and uh, that makes that side quest a breeze. And I got the extra experience for it. So I think that sounds like just one, you know, another in a long line of glitches, um, which is unfortunate. But yeah, thanks, uh, Jet Set yeah. Loving. Thank you. Then our final comment, uh, comment here comes from Andrew Klinger on Facebook. He says, being a fan of the tabletop game and working in game retail when it was released, I have no idea how I didn't manage to grab this game until 2011. But here we go. Bloodlines is a fantastic game that went through development hell, and even with all of the glitches, fuck the sewers, seriously. <laughs> I agree, Andrew. I still absolutely love every minute of it. I don't know about every minute. I'm sorry. I'm commenting on it. I should just be presenting this uh, normal. Uh, the lore that White Wolf created 20 years ago is still a fun place to be, even if it does feel decidedly 90s goth slash punk with a weird apocalyptic year 2000 outlook. The characters and quests are fleshed out and uh, are fleshed out well. Uh, and there are some truly great moments, especially if your character has a high seduction slash persuasion. 
I hate to be cliched, but my favorite part of the game is the Seaside Hotel. It's so well-scripted, delightfully creepy, and very intense on your first playthrough. It's a great ride, although the latter half is insanely difficult if you focus on social attributes. I swear, celerity and sheer dumb luck is the only way that my Toreador was able to actually plow through some of those encounters. It's a shame we'll never see a sequel and that the World of Darkness MMO was shelved because this is a world ripe for the picking. I'm glad I finally sank my fangs into Bloodlines because <laughs> it's reinvigorated my interest in the tabletop, and hopefully I'm going to get a group started. Fangs for the comment. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm glad the game didn't suck. Yes, 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 yes. Um, one, of the, I like, uh, one of the things he touches on that I we didn't really talk about, when he talks about the apocalyptic tone in the game, I really like that. You know, the, the Everyone's kind of scared of this... Uh, the sarcophagus, and even um, you run into a character we didn't talk about named Beckett, who who's an asshole, <laughs> and he's an, he's an arrogant dickhead who can turn into a wolf. Is all you really need to know about Beckett. But uh, he, he's a skeptic, and he says, you know, there's no such thing as the end times. This coffin doesn't mean anything. And throughout the course of the game, he becomes less sure of himself until the end when he runs up to you and says, "Hey, I don't know what's going on, but don't open that." Like I, you know, <laughs> and I really like that. Like everyone's kind of scared, and and one of the things I don't know how intentional this is but the idea of uh these kind of these immortal beings you know that have so little to fear and how they act when they're placed in a situation where they have cause to you know it's just kind of a neat uh you know kind of a neat tonal thing so uh, after just a, a, a couple moments of uh deliberation we've decided to give the game to jet set lemming from the Something Awful boards. Uh, his post kind of generated the most discussion. And uh, yeah, so so Jet Set Lemming, we'll be in touch. Um, you have won a copy of Zombies Ate My Neighbors, which is the next game we're doing. If you already have that or don't have a Wii, we'll work something out. Um, and we've been really flexible about that in the past. We've met you know, people who don't, who don't want the game that we're doing next. Um, I've donated to charity for another listener. Um, so it's pretty much uh, you know, a prize that's $8 or less. Yep, you know, pretty you, know you, you get so we're, we're you know we make no money off of this and uh we are not wealthy men but uh we do <laughs> want to give back because we do really do appreciate people playing along with us yeah it's incentive and I, I i don't know of any other podcast that does this so you know it's neat right mm-hmm. so do you want to uh do you want to announce the the next two next two games yeah. we just we just talked about zombies ate my neighbors which will be the next one yeah, which is available on the Wii Virtual Console for 800 points or eight American dollars, Earth dollars. Um, and then the game after that is going to be the Sega Genesis version of Shadowrun. Right, right. It seems like we're just doing games based on tabletop role-playing games. Um, we're going to have to do a Dungeons & Dragons one at some point. We're going to run the gamut. But uh, th- this is a game I wanted to do since I had the idea for the podcast. I've never really heard it talked about um, you know, on on in video game media really. And it is a, a fantastic kind of precursor open world, uh, grand theft auto role playing adventure hybrid thing that is way ahead of its time. Um, now just a, as a brief note of this and you know, it'd be a good time maybe to qual to, to clarify this, this policy. So this game is not available on the virtual not console. Um, not everybody has a Sega Genesis right now. And I kind of feel about piracy and kind of what, I, what I'm thinking our attitude is going to be is that if, if something's available, you should, pay, you should pay for it. 
you know it's just if it's 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 always cheap you know old games are five ten bucks you know you can afford that if something's not available there's no other way to get it eh. it, it still is not encouraged i would say but there's a certain amount of uh wanting to preserve that and if uh if we can talk about it um then that's what we have to do right, right. and and that's you know and and the thing is, is this is this with this game in particular, or like any of the licensed games. You know, I wouldn't deny, uh, you know, a generation of kids the Nintendo Ducktales just because that'll never come <laughs> out on anything because Disney owns it. Who exactly. who even knows who owns Shadowrun now? You know, uh, there was fast Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft. Yeah. yeah, and well, they're not going to bring back the Genesis version because it's <laughs> it, you know it's got all these concepts from before they owned it, and the the FPS version failed really badly. So it's just this. I just don't think this is going to come out. I don't really see a big problem with it. Again, I wouldn't encourage it, but I think that, you know, it, there, there are games are out there to be played. The people who made the games want you to play them. You know, I don't think you, this, in this case specific in some other cases, I don't think you're really hurting anybody. Yeah. Victimless crime. Steal that shit. Yeah. So yeah. So, so yeah, download it, um, download it and, and, and play it if you want to play along with us. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a super fun game. So I would encourage you to specifically the genesis version for this playthrough they are two different games yeah there's there's three different shadow runs um there's the xbox pc version which you should avoid and then there's a genesis and a super nintendo version both of which are really great maybe sometime you know way down the road we'll do the super nintendo version they're both pretty good games um but specifically the genesis one is what we're doing next uh in a month month's time very good. So comment on our next game, Zombies Ate My Neighbors, if you would like to play uh, or some maybe <laughs> get something. I don't know. This kind of our, our prize model breaks down, but we'll make it worth your while. Just comment. <laughs> comment on the game. Play along. Um, if you have any other comments for us, if you, you want to support the show, um, everyone has been great. We've been doing really well in the iTunes rankings and everything. Um, and it's it's all due to you and we really appreciate it. So if you know, and this is this is a good time. You know, if you've been waiting to, I feel like we're maybe on the cusp of of really kind of um, crossing a a barrier with that. So if you, you've been waiting to rate or review it on iTunes, uh, now would be a great time to do it. Um, and in general, you can also uh, become a fan of us on Facebook, um, which is facebook.com slash Watch Out for Fireballs. Uh, you know, we have uh, you know occasionally throw some comments about the games we're playing on there, and you know we'll take game suggestions uh, from there. We still want to, you know, if there's if there's something you would like to hear us play, um, eventually, you, you know, uh, since we're every other week, we we tend to uh, ha- have the next couple of weeks or next couple of episodes planned out, but we can throw it in the pile and maybe we'll draw from it as it goes. Right at, th- um, at this point, we've kind of got more suggest. We've got you know well over a year's suggestions, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so we'd still want to hear them. Um, and don't think if, if we don't do your game, we're ignoring it. And, and if you don't, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like iTunes. If you don't want to help, you know, do that, you can tell a friend. <laughs> if you don't want to help us out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you, if you're actively not helping us out, then, uh, but it, you know, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Uh, you know, tell your friends about the show. If you think they would like it, you can post a blog about it. You can talk about it anywhere. You know, we could still really use help with that. And even if you don't want to do that, um, we love to just hear from you in general. Even if you don't want to play the game we're playing, you don't want to promote it in any way. If you just have any comments or questions or anything like that, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So that's watch out for fireballs at duckfeed.tv or duckfeed.tv slash contact. Right. Right. And uh, just in in case you can't get enough of us, um, <laughs> Cole Ross has a couple of other 
podcast. Uh, if you like more modern video games, he has a podcast called Stand Under the Don't Tree and Riddle Me This. I just recently kind of caught up with that, and that is, a, again, a, an excellent podcast. And uh, for comedy, he has a, a podcast called Those Damn Ross Kids, which is hysterical. He does it with his brother, and uh, it's kind of like an interesting news commentary show. Yeah, and if you like Gary, you can check out Dead Idea of All Hollow, which thankfully, thankfully is still continuing. Yeah, I decided to, to keep it up. I I get uh, am prone to, to sadsies <laughs> sometimes, but I'm going to keep it up for a while. It's going to change into something, but whatever I do, you'll be able to find at that website. So Um If you like the music in the show, you know, there's a lot of music I've done there and, and uh, kind of my that's my creative output website and all of those shows are incredibly evergreen i would i would encourage you to go back to the beginning and listen listen up through their short it's not a huge time commitment and there's lots of great stuff there um if you would also like to follow us on twitter i know that i tweet uh just my name cole ross that's k-o-l-e dummy uh ross r-o-s-s um and uh that that's where you can find my insights and uh, you, Gary, you're at yeah. I'm I'm at that idea of a holla. I don't, I never got the hang of Twitter. I don't I don't use it very <laughs> often. If you want to follow me on there, that'd be great. I don't know if uh, I can promise to provide good content <laughs> for you. Um, unfortunately, I just I don't think to do it. So yeah, but uh, you know, so so follow Cole on tw- <laughs> on Twitter. Um, I'm I'm optional there. <laughs> there, so. there we go. But you know, it's not optional, Gary. Uh, I know one thing that's not optional, and uh, that's don't open it. Don't open it. Do not open it. Don't there's open a lot of, it. There, there's, <laughs> <laughs> um, and one other thing. Uh, just watch out for fireballs, please. such a conflicted relationship with tv tropes yeah 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 me, me, me too i'm glad that you have a conflicted relationship <laughs> i'm i'm hesitant to say that i appreciate it at all because it's such a it's so disgusting <laughs> like as as like a reference like as a way to keep like the in popular culture stuff away from away from wikipedia it's great mm-hmm. um and i like the i like the uh kind of the taxonomical efficiency of like figuring out okay this is a cliche and and then being able to go and look and see like okay this game has this or this movie has this what else has that and i'll actually use that um as a way to find related works that have something that i know that i like um but in general uh, i find that the experience is much more um tolerable if you skip over the anime and manga section unfortunately that is at the top of every list yeah and it's also a really good place like if you are are just sitting at home and you're you're feeling weird about it and you want to go online and tell somebody that you want to fuck the cat from sailor moon <laughs> like it's just 
that's where to go because yeah, it's it's like where everybody knows your name. It's 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 like a uh, like a fucking haunted sex cheers. Like, it's like, 